In this episode of Full Stack Radio, Jonathan Renick and I continue our discussion about Tailwind CSS, answering listener questions about the framework, and sharing details behind the roadmap for 1.0. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 77. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Full Stack Radio, episode 77. And this week, I am back with Jonathan Rennick yet again uh, to continue our conversation about Tailwind CSS uh, from the last episode. So how's it going, Jonathan? I'm doing very well, Adam. Thank you for having me back. Awesome. So uh, we decided that a good way to kind of structure this conversation would be to sort of take some questions uh, from people who have been trying out the framework or curious about the framework and kind of just answer some of those and give some of our opinions on them. And uh, yeah, just kind of see where that goes. So the most common question by far that I think uh, we get about Tailwind, uh, which we've talked about a little bit in other conversations, is why doesn't Tailwind include higher level components uh, like buttons and forms. Uh, so like we have Algolia search set up on our docs and something we noticed this morning was that like the very f- most common search term that we don't have documentation for is the term input, right? So people are coming to the site, they're trying to figure out how do I style form controls uh, and stuff like that. So I thought it would be interesting to start this conversation by just talking a little bit about why we don't ship uh, stuff like that by default. Uh, so Jonathan, what is your opinion on that question? Yeah, so I think the most basic answer to that question would be that a UI framework that ships components provides a lot of design decisions decisions out of the box for you. So buttons, select boxes, input boxes, radio buttons, lists, navigation, all these different types of components, they all have to be constructed around some sort of design system. And one of our goals with Tailwind was to really create a framework, a utility framework that you can use to build literally any design that you want. So we really ran stuck early on because this was actually something that we kind of struggled with at first. It's like we wanted to have this base set of utilities We also really liked the idea of having a few components to kind of get us up and running, mostly because we saw the value in that for our own projects. Like, I don't want to have to rethink form styles every single project or button styles every single project. So how could we get those in and include it in Tailwind and have them make sense? And really, we battled that for quite a while. And in the end, we sort of decided, no, Tailwind's literally going to be just utilities. And the components themselves are going to be what you build with our utilities and sort of the outlet that we had. So, yeah, so there's a bunch of things related to that, too. We didn't just say we're going to do that and leave it at that and people are going to have to figure out the components on their own and sort of be stuck. We started thinking about, well, how can we make it possible for people to create components in an easier way using Tailwind, which is where a lot of the things like the, you know, creating your own utilities comes from, creating components, extracting components, the add apply uh, custom at rule, all these things sort of came out of that decision. But at the end of the day, Tailwind remains a utility framework and the components themselves have to be something that you add and they would be, you know, you would add them in a way 
that they would be unique to your project. We don't make any decisions about, well, this is how your buttons should look or this is how your inputs should look or really anything else. Yeah. So I think that's really like the defining difference. Yeah, I think like what happened really is I was pretty convinced that I wanted to ship buttons and forms with the framework because they're just annoying to recreate from scratch every time. But every time we had a conversation about it, it came down to trying to distill like what is the most primitive button that we can ship um, that has as few design opinions as possible, but it's still useful, right? And what is a button? A button is something with usually a background color, um, some decision made about the font weight, like some sites have lighter fonts, some have heavier fonts for their buttons. Um, maybe it has a border, uh, like classic bootstrap buttons used to. Maybe there's a box shadow. Um, there has to be some sort of hover state. Um, but every site does that different too. Some just change the background color. Others do like a little translate up, you know, to make it look elevated or, or increase the box shadow behind it. Uh, it's going to have some horizontal padding and vertical padding. But again, like every site kind of does that differently too. Um, some sites like to do all caps in their buttons and some sites don't. And what happened really is just like no matter how hard we tried, I couldn't figure out a way to, to ship a BTN class that did anything useful without um, imposing some design decision that I could totally see someone not wanting in uh, one of their projects. So that was kind of a really hard thing because I really like having those sorts of things available, especially in my own projects. Like I am not the sort of person who's going to be recreating buttons from scratch all the time with 11 utilities. I definitely extract those sorts of things into components and forms are even worse, honestly, especially doing things like checkbox and radio button styling or styling um, select dropdowns and stuff. But again, we just couldn't figure out a way um, to provide those by default without enforcing uh, design decisions that we didn't think it was our place to enforce. So instead, what we did is we tried to focus really hard on the component story in terms of making it possible for you to extract your own components and providing documentation around that. And it also sort of got us thinking about a bunch of other uh, features that we want to add uh, to Tailwind from sort of an extensibility perspective uh, that I think we're going to get into uh, a little bit later uh, in the conversation. So kind of the TLDR is we didn't want to enforce design decisions on anyone. We couldn't figure out a way to ship them without enforcing design decisions on anyone. Um, so what seemed like the best approach was to focus on shipping just a core set of utilities to start with no opinions and figuring out an approach to layering on uh, more opinions um, later on without having to sort of bake that into the core of the framework. Yeah, and I can say for myself, even on my own project, I've already really liked that decision. I don't feel like I'm undoing stuff. I don't feel like there's extra stuff floating around that I'm not using. Um, it's very much the framework gives you the utilities, which are basically and um, gives you access to the underlying CSS properties and values. And really, those are the building blocks that you can take and build your own thing with. None of those properties. I mean, we did actually run into some of these things in a few areas. Like the shadows was one area that we provide. Like I think we provide three or four shadows out of the box. But those, those felt even there. That felt a little bit like a design decision because there's really like an endless amount of things you can do with CSS box shadows, right? Yeah, yeah, it's tricky, right? Like I think I felt comfortable. Um sort of having some design decisions baked into things that only represented single CSS properties. You know yeah. what I mean? Just like I don't mind 
picking like a nice general purpose default color palette for people, you're encouraged to just change that anyways. And the box shadows is totally the same thing. Like you could remove box shadows, add them, offset them differently, change the colors of them, whatever the hell you want. But we just try to pick some that are nice general purpose ones. Um, the problem with something like a button is it's really hard for us to pick a general button style and provide a way to tweak that that doesn't feel like this really gross configuration stuff. Like I always hated in Bootstrap having to go into the variables file and find like the button border radius variable and change that to zero and find the button line height and the button padding and, and tweak it all that way. I would rather just write the CSS, you know? Um, so we just tried to sort of optimize for how would we like to work um, and just kind of made the assumption that if we build the best possible framework we can for ourselves, there's going to be enough people out there who want the same sort of thing that they'll kind of benefit from it too, right? It's always hard when you're trying to make decisions. Like you're always trying to figure out, well, how do I make this appeal to the most people possible? And I think that's sort of like um, a really bad way to make decisions because by trying to make something for everybody, you end up making something for nobody. Um, so instead, we just focused on trying to build exactly what we would want for ourselves uh, with the hope that there's enough other people out there who, you know, want to work the same way, uh, that this would be a good fit uh, for them too. Yeah, and if you don't believe that there's a lot of different button, possible button styles out there, just go to Google, go to Google Images, and type in CSS buttons and just start scrolling to see the infinite number of different possibilities that you can <laughs> do for buttons. And that's just buttons. Totally. So related to this question, uh, something that comes up now and then, uh, is people asking just kind of who is Tailwind for, you know? I've had people say, so it, it sounds like Tailwind is something more for back-end developers who don't want to write CSS. But I've had people ask me questions from the exact opposite point of view too, which is like, it sounds like Tailwind is only for front-end developers that know CSS um, since a back-end developer can't make anything with it since there's no predefined components and stuff, right? So it's interesting to see people asking like, the exact opposite question. Um, so I thought it'd be interesting to try and kind of address that and talk a little bit about uh, who it's for and who's going to kind of get them, you know, most use out of it. Yeah. So I think I, it's funny because I don't know that we really thought about this. It, like this really comes down to, you've used the word, the target audience for Tailwind. And it, I don't know that we really had like a formal, like this is who it's intended for. But I think now that I look back on it, um, I would say it's probably been more geared for a front-end developer in that we're giving you access to underlying these utilities that basically have, you know, give you access to these underlying CSS properties and values. So in order to build something useful with Tailwind, you do need to have some knowledge of what those CSS values and properties are. Just because we give you the utility, that may not be useful for you because a lot of the utilities are closely named to the CSS properties. Yeah. Um, it would be probably difficult with no CSS knowledge to build something useful. Yeah, like if you're trying to build like a responsive nav bar or something and you don't know anything about CSS or you're not you know, good at CSS, you're going to struggle to do that with Tailwind. Uh, because you sort of need to know how you're going to implement it, right? It doesn't do it for you and sort of hide it from you and try to implement it in some magic way. Um, a framework like Bootstrap is much better suited for those sorts of situations. So if you just have like some component that you want to be able to achieve and you don't care about how it's done um, and you're willing to accept someone else's design decisions, well, then maybe that'll work out better for you. But to use Tailwind effectively, you definitely need to know 
that, okay, I would use Flexbox to solve this problem, or I would use a float to solve this problem, or um, I don't know, what else would you maybe do? Or like maybe the best way for me to get these two things to be the same height is to add a transparent border to this item to match the colored border on the item next to it, like things like that, you know? Um, so I don't know if it's really is for front-end developers or for back-end developers as much as it's just, um, it's for people trying to implement uh, custom user interfaces. So you need to know CSS to some degree to be able to do it. It comes down to sort of like an interesting topic I've been thinking about lately that kind of um, is just as important in backend development as it is in frontend development, which is I think that sometimes people try to create abstractions around things to hide the implementation versus just make it easier to work with. You know what I mean? So if you think about like backend programming a lot of time, you might create like a storage abstraction which could be an api or it could be the file system or it could be a database and the person using it like has no clue uh, what the underlying implementation is and i think people approach building abstractions that way a lot of the time i don't think that's the only way to build abstractions or always the right way i think like abstractions are useful in general for just giving you a nicer way to work with something that you already understand so you don't have to work with it at such a low level. And that's kind of what Tailwind is for CSS. So we don't try to create clever abstractions around CSS. Um, we actually have made that mistake in a few places that we have corrected. So for example, um, we had utilities for specifying the border radius of one side of an element, right? So like rounded T to round the top two corners or rounded L to round the left corners. And the way that we implemented it was the CSS properties for rounded T actually set uh, border bottom right radius to zero and border bottom left radius to zero. So rather than actually setting the top two corners to a specified radius, they made the bottom two corners square, right? So they try to set the opposite one. Um, so you'd have to combine it with another utility. You have to say make all sides of this element um, four pixel border radius and then make the bottom two square. And that's kind of what the implementation was like. Um, but that started to bite us really fast because all of a sudden there's things that you wanted to be able to do, um, styles, like you want to be able to round three corners of an element. And now that's like impossible in Tailwind because we tried to be too clever about trying to create almost like goal oriented styles instead of just creating direct abstractions around the CSS properties. And that's been a hard line to walk a lot of time. We still do that in a couple places, um, but it's very carefully yeah, like done. rounded rounded would be an example of that. Like it's not border radius, the utility is rounded. Yeah, from a naming perspective, but also from an implementation perspective, like truncate, for example, combines overflow, hidden, uh, text overflow, ellipsis, and some other property uh, that you have to use. The to line wrapping. Yeah, I don't know, whatever one it is, like white space no wrap, I think. Yeah, that's what it is, yeah. Yeah, so you need those three properties to accomplish truncating text and adding like ellipsis to it, right? So that's kind of like a goal-oriented class rather than just a direct abstraction on top of the CSS properties. Uh, but we find that more often than not, trying to provide clever classes like, you know, center everything is not as useful as just saying, okay, well, make it display flex, make it justify content center, make it align item center. And now you have more flexibility, right? Um, so we're an abstraction on top of CSS for people who know CSS. Uh, we're not like an abstraction on top of CSS that hides CSS from you. 
and gives you the ability to style things without having any clue about how CSS works. Because there's actually a lot of CSS properties that I wish were implemented differently, and I wish we could provide abstractions <laughs> over top of them that yeah. worked in a different way. Like a classic example of that for me is a lot of the white space ones. Um, they combine like all sorts of weird behavior into like a single property, and I wish there was a way for us to split that out, uh, but there's not. So instead of being clever, it's better for us to just give you direct access to those CSS properties like whitespace pre or whitespace pre line or whitespace no wrap or whatever. Um, so back to the kind of the core question is just, yeah, Tailwind is an abstraction on top of CSS for people who know CSS or at least people who are willing to learn CSS. Uh, what were you yeah, going to say? Yeah, and I think it, I was going to say, I think that has like this really cool side benefit is like if you're not a CSS developer, but you really want to learn it and you want to use Tailwind, you're not going to be learning a whole bunch of abstractions, even though they are abstractions, but you're not going to learn a whole bunch of naming that doesn't exist in CSS. If you were to work with Tailwind for a while, you would be learning the CSS properties as well because a lot of the naming is consistent there. And you would just be learning like how they interact with each other too, right? Like I think your point is, is good. Like learning Tailwind if you don't know CSS and you learn Tailwind, you're not just learning Tailwind, like you're learning CSS, <laughs> whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it could be a, an interesting path for that too. I've actually seen a few examples of people online who are not comfortable with CSS at all and took, you know, wanting to try Tailwind as an opportunity to sort of freshen up their CSS chops too. And uh, so far the response and feedback on that has been pretty positive. So, so, the next question um, that is a pretty common one as well is just about when to extract um, components, right? So Tailwind kind of encourages this workflow of looking for uh, duplicated utility patterns in your CSS and extracting those into component classes uh, to sort of reduce that maintainability problem of trying to update 11 classes in 100 places in your markup. Um, so we've had a few people ask questions about when they should be extracting components, uh, when they should not be extracting components, sort of some best practices and stuff around that. Um, so I think that'd be kind of interesting to get into. So Jonathan, when do you extract a component when you're working with Zillwind? Okay. So I guess I got a few rules around this. One is it all really comes down to how many times that component's being used. It all comes down to duplication. So I think coming from a BEM style of programming CSS, you never made the decision of when am I going to make a component because it always started with a component. So go in more utility first with your CSS. You have to kind of flip that out, flip that whole approach on its head. And now what I do is I generally start with assuming that I, I'm not going to have a component and that it's going to be a one-time use thing only. And then when I see a situation that something is being duplicated, I'll decide at that point, you know what, this is a great time to turn this into a component. Um, but I'd say even before that, like I know when starting a project now that there's going to be a certain amount of things in any project that live better as components. And a lot of that comes to, down to things like, um, say, a modal or form styles or buttons or things like that. So I don't always wait with those things. Before I create components, I might just create some components right when I get going. Or if I'm creating the button for the first time, I'll just create it as a component because I know it's going to go that way. But yeah, other than that, I wait for something to sort of appear as some duplication. Um, but 
I don't always even jump right to creating a CSS component. I use, um, I have my templating layer. So I often work in Laravel and PHP. So I use Blade and I'll sometimes create Blade components when that makes sense. Um, and a lot of times that comes down to whether or not it's the styles being duplicated or a you know, the markup that's being duplicated. So me and you talked about this earlier, Adam, where we basically said, well, if you're just creating a button, which is like this single piece of HTML, then that might be a nice use case for a CSS component. However, if you're creating like this reusable component, which is a bunch of CSS styles, so a bunch of utilities, plus a bunch of HTML, well, then maybe it might be an opportunity to take all that stuff together and package it up as a view component, a reusable view um, that you can include wherever you need it. And in the exact same sort of way, you can do you know that with a JavaScript framework. So I also use view. So I, I might actually use, say, view and create a view component for that piece of reusable CSS and markup. So it, it really kind of depends on what the piece is. And that's, I think, why I like all this so much is you kind of have a bunch of different things that you can do to reduce that duplication. And it doesn't only have to be this one way, depending on kind of like your tooling and with the frameworks you're using, you can kind of solve this in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think um, for me, the only components that I consistently create are really low level components like buttons um, and form controls especially things like custom selects and stuff where you'd need to do weird things with like a background position and like a base 64 encoded image to replace like the drop down icon, um, weird things like that. Uh, but yeah, I definitely create template components for things a lot of time too, especially like, yeah, I think you're right. Like basically if it's a single element, then I'm, I'm most likely going to create a CSS component class, but if it's a combination of a bunch of HTML well, then creating a class uh, for that component doesn't really solve my duplication problem because I still need to like repeat that markup pattern in multiple places on my site. So if I want to solve the problem of the markup duplication, the only way to do that is by creating some sort of partial or you know JavaScript component if you're on a project where that's appropriate. And the thing is, as soon as you solve that problem that way, you've also solved the CSS duplication problem. So you don't even need a component class anymore. Um, a good example of this actually is on the Tailwind CSS documentation. I've just been ripping through all of it and we have these little tables at the top of each documentation page that lists all the classes for a specific module. And those were all hard coded before, which was annoying as hell to maintain. So I created a little blade partial and I've been replacing all those with a little blade partial where I just do like add include partials.class table and I pass it an array, which is all the rows for the table. Um, so now it's just a partial that I pass some data to. And if you look at the actual code for the partial, I haven't created any component classes for it. It's all utilities, but it doesn't matter because it's still all in one place. Um, so there's more than one way to solve uh, this problem. I think what makes Tailwind kind of interesting is that we still give you the tools to solve it with CSS when it makes sense, um, but that's not always the best way to do it. So kind of on the flip side of this question is when not to extract components. And I think um, the most important thing to understand here is that the job of a CSS component class in your project, if you're kind of following the Tailwind ethos or whatever, 
uh, is to remove duplication and make it possible for you to update the styles of multiple linked elements in a single place. There's so many situations that you would traditionally create component classes for with other frameworks where they aren't solving that problem. So a classic example to me is a nav bar. Um, on every app I've ever built in my life, I've never duplicated nav bar markup ever. It's always just part of my layout file. Um, so I have one place where that nav bar lives and I write that uh, HTML once. And if I'm using something like Bootstrap, I put the nav classes on it. And those are the only times I type those nav classes. So using something like Tailwind, I can build that whole nav bar with utilities and never feel the pain of not creating a component class because I never write that markup ever again. So I think what you'll find if you try to really follow this like utility first approach strictly where you always try to do it with utilities first and only create classes when like that becomes painful, I think you'll find like there's a surprisingly large number of situations where you just never duplicate those combinations of classes. Um, I'm trying to think of like some other interesting examples of when you might want to do it or might not. Things like cards come to mind. Um, I tend to not create classes for those anymore. I used to for the longest time. Uh, but now a card is really just like a background color, a box shadow maybe, and some padding, and then the contents of the card, you know? Um so I used to maybe have like a dot card and then like a dot card header, dot card footer, dot card body, you know, bootstrap does stuff like that. Um, I find like that doesn't really end up being beneficial to me most of the time now. Like I might have a bunch of cards that look somewhat similar and they're all built with utilities, um, but they're all different enough that it just doesn't buy me anything to try and create like some abstraction around it. You know, I actually find like, overusing some of the sort of components that bootstrap gives you can make your site look pretty crappy anyways. Like people have these like panels everywhere that always look exactly the same um, with like this header with a gray background and a border under it. And uh, I just find when you're trying to build like some nicely designed custom site, that sort of repeating high level abstraction like that doesn't happen as much. Um, and if it does, it's usually happening in situations where you're like looping over some data to generate a bunch of them anyways, right? So like if you look at like the Airbnb landing page or something where there's all these different places to rent and everything kind of is the same card style, um, that would just be something that you're generating like in a loop anyways, right? So you'd only be writing that markup once. So I wouldn't even bother creating a class for that sort of thing a lot of the time. Um one other situation that I do create components in though that isn't related to duplication is sometimes you need to do stuff where the elements have some intricate dependency on each other or some weird interaction. As a lot of the time this relates to like hovering over a parent and having it change something about the child. So like if you have like a drop down menu and you want to hover over an item in the drop down menu and have all the text in that change color um, to say maybe the background goes blue and the text goes white. That's pretty easy to do with utilities if you just have like a really simple one line thing. But if like your dropdown is complex and has like an image in it and like a header and like a body copy and the body copy is a different colored text than the header, then trying to convert that all to white when you hover over the parent is not really possible with utilities unless you kind of get really clever about the sort of utilities that you try to create. Um, so those are situations where I might create uh, components too. And what I tend to find honestly is that like 
a lot of the same situations I want to create CSS components for those sorts of complex interactions. I'm already creating like a JavaScript component for that sort of thing anyways. Um, so in those cases, I might not even create a CSS component. I might just use like views style block or something uh, to handle the stuff that's very specific to just that uh, component. Um, so I think like the most important thing is to just really think about the fact that the only problem you're trying to really solve is duplication and especially duplication that's going to be causing you maintainability issues. So real duplication stuff where you're expecting, if I change one, I'm going to want to change the other. And if you find yourself in a situation where um, you've already handled that through some other way, like don't just create a CSS class just because it feels more organized or it feels like your markup is cleaner or something. Only do it if it's actually solving a problem that you haven't already solved by either creating a template for that component or extracting a JavaScript component or something. Um, so yeah, it, for me, it really just ends up being low level utilities, stuff that gets reused all over your site in tons of different contexts, like little buttons, um, maybe like a input group where you have an icon next to a form control, you know, other form controls, uh, stuff like that. Yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned the um, table that we used on the Tailwind documentation that lists all the utilities at the top of each module page. And to me, that was a really great use case for more of a template-based component. But I actually, in my app, have what I call a data grid, which is essentially just a fancy name for a table. I have a table um, component. And the reason why I, but I created that not as a, um, not as a, a reasonable template um, file, I created as an actual CSS component. And the reason why is because I wanted the flexibility in my situations to be able to change the markup easily. So when you switch to more of a template based component, you make it more difficult on yourself to modify the markup because that, that component now has the markup baked into it. So if you want to start tweaking the markup, you know, even a simple way, like maybe in one of the, uh, in the table and maybe in one of the cells, you want to have a button. Well, there's no real simple way to do that with a, with, you know, just, well, there are ways to do it, but it tends to be more complicated. So that's maybe kind of a, a bit of an idea of when you should use a CSS component versus a template component, um, it, it, depending on how much you want to modify that thing. So I created a, a table component, which I now have to go through and manually apply that, that each Set one of, of the different like to the rows and the cells. And correct. Stuff if necessary. Yes. But to me, that was the right choice in that situation because I wanted full flexibility over those tables and to be able to put different things in them as opposed to our Tailwind example, which is very much, no, this is the only purpose of this table ever. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think like what it comes down to ultimately at the end of the day is you need to just assess the situation based on your own context and experience and decide what the better approach is. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that's CodeShip. So CodeShip is a hosted continuous integration platform in the cloud that helps you increase your development productivity and ship to production more frequently. CodeShip lets you standardize your tooling and processes across your teams, speeds up your build times, and integrates into your existing ecosystem of tools. CodeShip is a great fit for your team, whether you're just trying to speed up the build times for large apps, or if you want to set up complex delivery pipelines for your microservices using tools like Docker, Kubernetes, and others. 
Forrester recently released their latest Continuous Integration Tools report, which provides valuable guidance into the rapidly growing continuous integration and continuous delivery market. And CodeShip actually scored as a top five continuous integration vendor in this report. If you're interested in reading this report and learning more about what makes for a great continuous integration and continuous delivery service, uh, you can check out the show notes for this episode and I'll have a link there for you. So if you want to spend less time managing your tools and speed up your software development, give CodeShip a try and sign up for free today at CodeShip.com. I've been a user of CodeShip uh, for many years for all the open source projects that I run continuous integration on, as well as private projects where I use CI, and I couldn't be happier with the service. So thanks to CodeShip for sponsoring the podcast this week, and back to the show. Let's see here. Another question that we actually got a lot right when Tailwind came out that prompted some some new features that we added actually was can tailwind be used with existing css or on top of other css frameworks like bootstrap so um the answer to this was always technically yes right there's nothing stopping you just including two css files on your site but some of the common problems that you would run into is uh naming collisions is it was a big one so for example Tailwind has a lot of classes that share the same name as classes in Bootstrap. And there's not a lot of them that actually cause you problems, um, but you're going to end up applying two sets of styles when maybe you only want to apply one. So for something like Text Center, which appears in both Bootstrap and Tailwind, that doesn't actually cause you any problems. Although when you look in the dev tools, you'll see that there's two definitions of it, both getting applied to the same element doing the same thing which is kind of weird and redundant and, and wasteful but there are situations where it actually can be problematic like uh, we have a dot container class and bootstrap has a container class and they actually behave in subtly different ways um so applying dot container to an element in your project is just going to be broken because it's not going to work the way tailwind expects it to work and it's not going to work the way bootstrap expects it to work another problem that people would run into is that a lot of Existing CSS that you might have on your site or framework that you might already be using uses um, selectors with a high specificity. So uh, Bootstrap doesn't do tons of this, but they do a bit of it where you have like nested selectors that are referencing each other. And as soon as there's two classes in a selector or an element in a class or even an element in an attribute selector, the specificity on that is higher than it is on a single class. And by default, Tailwind doesn't make any of its utilities uh, important because if you're starting a greenfield project with Tailwind and Tailwind is the only framework that you're using and you structure your CSS file properly where you put utilities at the end, components in the middle and base styles at the beginning, you just don't need things to be important. It just doesn't end up mattering. You don't need to trump things in weird ways like that. But when you're layering it on top of existing CSS, um, oftentimes you will need to make these utilities be marked as important for them to actually work because otherwise maybe like a bootstrap button style is going to trump some override style that you try to apply with utilities um, from Tailwind. So what we ended up doing to try and solve this problem is we added a new section to the Tailwind config file called options, which is just going to be a home for a bunch of interesting features that we're, we're planning. But we added two keys there, one called prefix and one called important. Uh, so the goal of the prefix option is to basically let you generate all of Tailwind's utilities prefixed with some custom prefix. So essentially it lets you put them in a namespace. Um, so the example that we give in the documentation is you could add TW dash as your prefix there. And now all of Tailwind's utilities would be TW dash, the utility name. So instead of 
dot text center, it'd be dot tw dash text center. So if you combine this with bootstrap now and you applied text center to an element, um, only bootstrap's definition would get applied because tailwinds would actually be prefixed. Uh, so that's one way that we're avoiding uh, the naming collision stuff. And then the other option there is important, which is just a Boolean flag, true or false. And by default, it's false. Uh, but if you set it to true, all of Tailwind's utilities will be generated um, with every declaration being marked as important so that they can trump any um, high specificity selectors that you might already have in any of your components or in uh, any of the existing CSS framework stuff uh, that you're using. Do you have anything to add there, Jonathan? Uh, yeah, I would just say it's also something you'd want to be mindful of would be the resets. So Tailwind comes with a reset, which we call pre-flight, which has a bunch of base styles, which is mostly normalized with a few little decisions of ours on top of that. So if you're using bootstraps, I forget what their reset's called, reboot, I think it's called. If you're using reboot, you might want to consider either using reboot or preflight, but not both of them. And then, if, you know, I would be careful about looking through each one of those and kind of seeing what decisions, like what things are left out um, of whatever one you chose to left to leave out. Um, because, for example, I know with Tailwind in our preflight in our resets, we set some border styles that are important to have to have default border styles. So when you use our border utilities. Um, Preflight actually sets the color of the default border. So if you didn't use our reset, you'd have to basically just add that in yourself, which wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. It would be, a, you know, give it 15, 20 minutes of effort and you could have that copied over. Yeah. I think that's the only base style we have that would actually um, have any implications on how Tailwind actually works. Although you don't actually need that to still use Tailwind. Like we have this reset for border styles, which took us a long time to come up with, honestly, because the way that the browser works by default is um, every element has, so a border is made up of three CSS properties, which is border width, border style, and border color. And a lot of time you see those condensed down to the single border declaration where you might have border one pixel solid black or whatever. Um, so by default, the browser's default border styles is border width one pixel, uh, border style none, and then border color current color, which is the current text color. For our use cases and being able to simply add like a dot border class and having a border appear, um, it made more sense to kind of flip that reset around a little bit. So instead of having the default border style none, which is what makes the border invisible, even though it's one pixel, we make the default border width zero and the default border style solid. Um, so we only have to enable a border width to have a border appear, whereas normally you have to just set a style to have a border appear. Um, but you could still use Tailwind even without that reset. You would just be on the hook for adding more utilities to kind of get the ball rolling and get the styles working. So instead of just doing dot border, which only sets border width one pixel, you'd have to do... Um, dot border red dot border solid dot border and that would give you the same styles that you would get uh, by default in a fresh tailwind project if you just did dot border dot border red um, because the style would be set to solid for you by default so it's not that big of a deal but i think that is probably the only one that you might want to consider mimicking if you're trying to layer tailwind on top of other css okay so uh, another really big topic that we've had a lot of discussion around, which is actually one of the most interesting ones, is what strategies are there for optimizing your generated CSS file size with Tailwind? 
So before we kind of get into those strategies, why don't we talk a little bit about just what Tailwind actually looks like uh, file size wise and whether or not it is an issue and, you know, some of the things surrounding that. Uh, so why don't you get us started there, Jonathan? Yeah, um, maybe while I'm introducing it, maybe you can look up what the default file size is for the default yeah, config because I don't even that. remember what it is offhand. Yeah, so um, compared to obviously a Greenfield project that you have no CSS in, Tailwind provides all the utilities um, in, you know, kind of by default, you don't enable them or disable them. So right off the bat with Tailwind, you end up with a sizable CSS file. Um, and that, fortunately, so, you know, it's a larger CSS file right away, but it's it's still a very manageable file size. So I think it's roughly, Adam, you'll have to tell me, I think it's roughly like 200 kilobytes, maybe? Yeah, so right now, after some additions that were made to Tailwind 0.2, it looks like mm-hmm. our unminified, ungzipped, default Tailwind CSS file with all the colors, all the breakpoints, all that stuff is 243 kilobytes is kind of the starting point. Right. Okay. Sorry. And then what did you say was gzipped? So gzipped, well, first minified, it's Which 100, is... 180 kilobytes, right? So that's yep. going to save you a lot of bit or a lot of size there. And then uh, gzipped, it is, let me just check less here. Than, less than 30. So it's actually 31.1 kilobytes okay. now. There you go. Minified and gzipped. Um, but that's okay, with so... like what? 73 colors and five breakpoints. Yeah. So I, we feel like that's a, pretty acceptable file size by default. And I think if your project rolled with a 30 kilobyte minified gzipped CSS file, like I think that's completely acceptable. Um, that said, there is things that you can do to make it smaller because you know we ship with, I think roughly 70 Se- colors by yeah, default. I think it's over 70. It's like 73 yeah. colors by default. Which is yeah, like so a, a really typical, huge color palette, like way more than an, yeah. any project actually needs. Because unlike other frameworks, we don't like we don't choose like your primary color, secondary color for you. Like there's no branded color palette going on. It's literally just here's a whole blue color palette, here's a whole green color palette, here's a whole yellow color palette. Every color under the sun, we give you a full range of colors for each one, so you can just kind of do whatever you want. It, it has no opinions about like kind of what the overall shade of your site should be. You know, like Bootstrap kind of wants your site to look blue. You know what I mean? Whereas Tailwind just doesn't want your site to look like anything. Um, so yeah, there's yeah. way more colors than you need, but we think that's a good decision in terms of, especially because those are the files that we put up on CDNs and stuff. So if you want to pull something down to make like a JS Fiddle demo or something, it's nice to just have tons of choices available yep. uh, for you. You know? And it's just nice to have those as like a base when you get going on a project because maybe you don't want to think about the colors, but you know that you want some reds or some blues or whatever. So those that color palette then gets applied to your text colors and your border colors and your background colors. So it's easily like it easily turns into like hundreds or thousands of different utilities, which is why we end up with that 30 kilobyte file. However, in a typical project, you're going to go through and you're going to take all those colors and you're going to remove the vast majority of them and only use the ones that you need for your project. So right there alone, you're going to get a big savings. On my project, it went basically, the file size dropped about 20 kilobytes when I did that. And I still had a decent set of colors, even with, you know, 
you know, even with that drop. So, so I actually, I did a little bit of research, um, a couple of weeks ago in a conversation on our discuss repo. Um, and I was trying to see what is the difference in file size when you cut the color palette in half. And then also when you remove breakpoints. So we have five breakpoints, right? Which is no prefix, small, medium, large, extra large. So those are our five breakpoints. A lot of other frameworks out there have fewer than that. So I know Tachyons has four, and I know in the upcoming Tachyons five that they're working on, it's only going to be three. Uh, but with Tailwind, if you keep that full color palette of 73 colors, and this is slightly dated information, so these file sizes are going to be a couple kilobytes smaller. So from a starting reference point, um, Tailwind was 27.6 kilobytes at the time that I kind of crunched all these numbers, uh, whereas it's 31.1 kilobytes now. Uh, but with all colors and all breakpoints, it was 27.6 kilobytes. Uh, with all colors but one less breakpoint, it was 22.1 kilobytes, which was a 20% reduction in size. Um, if you remove another breakpoint, so you only have three breakpoints, now it's down to 16.6 kilobytes. So that's a 40% reduction in size. And eventually, if you get down to just having no breakpoints, if you're building a non-responsive site, you can have the full color palette of 73 colors and your file size is still 6.8 kilobytes. So 75% smaller than it would be if you included all the breakpoints. I did the same numbers um, after adjusting the color palette. So if you cut the color palette in half, the file size dropped from 27.6 kilobytes to 17 kilobytes. So that's almost a 40% reduction in file size just from having half the colors. So if you only need 36 colors on your site, which is still probably more than most sites actually need, um, you're already shaving 40% of off the file size and that's with five breakpoints. And if you take that to its logical extreme where you have only half the color palette and no breakpoints, you're down to a 5.7 kilobyte file. So Tailwind kind of looks big um, when you just look at like the dist files that we put on a CDN, but it's sort of intentionally generous with everything that's there. And once you actually remove the stuff that is really like aesthetic, like I'm not even talking about removing spacing helpers or sizing helpers, just colors, like just stuff that you straight up probably won't need. You can easily cut it in half uh, file size wise. Um, so I don't think like that's really as big of a, a concern as people make it out to be. It's, it's sort of difficult because um, no matter what, someone's always going to judge the framework based on the size of the CDN files, right? It, it takes a little bit of education to get someone to know the whole story. Um, so we're always going to get compared to like Bootstrap's full file size or Semantic UI's full file size, um, even though that's not really how you're actually going to end up using it. Um, but it's it's not as big as it looks uh, when you actually implement it on a project. Yeah, I was going to say developers kind of go a little crazy with the file size thing. Sometimes the best I ever saw was someone advertising a PHP framework by their by its file size, and it's like. <laughs> You you know that the file size doesn't matter for a PHP framework, right? Yeah. It's a two kilobyte PHP framework. Okay. So um, even all that aside, though, um, the general strategies, I guess, for optimizing your file size are basically to remove things that you don't need, which right now the easiest things to remove are colors is the number one. There's definitely going to be colors you can remove. And then breakpoints, maybe you can remove... Um, I'm not going to assume that everybody can remove them. I personally do like having all five breakpoints. Um, so there's that. 
And then if you really wanted to, you could get down to kind of the module by module level and try and optimize which things are available. So by default, we use the same spacing scale for padding margin and negative margin. Um, so you might be able to remove some negative margin ones that you're not using, for example. You might be able to remove some height helpers that you're not using. Um, those are micro-optimizations that honestly I would say are not worth the trouble because if you delete something that you end up having to use later and you have to go back and edit your Tailwind config file, all of a sudden like you've totally destroyed this nice workflow of just working in your HTML. So I think it's sort of an anti-pattern to try and over-optimize the file size to start. I think it's better to let it be a little bigger than you need. And then once like your project has matured a little bit, go through and kind of do some slicing and dicing and see we definitely don't use this. We never plan to use this. We can get rid of it. But if you start a fresh Tailwind project by looking at the config file and deleting everything that you're not using after making your first login page, then you're going to be in for a hard, rough time when it comes to actually, you know, working with the framework. Yeah, which leads us to kind of the interesting topic of removing unused selectors. So this is something that uh, it started mostly as a, a gentleman, I believe it was Andrew, Del Pret. Del Pretty. I, I have his name. Del, Del Pretty. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he started looking into basically what it would take to remove unused CSS selectors from the final outputted CSS. And I, as Adam knows, I've always sort of been like opposed to this approach. It feels like it's too magical and it can't be done reliably. So basically the process is, if you've ever heard of, I think the kind of the, the big one is Purify CSS. And what yeah, it does is two. after you... Purify CSS and UnCSS are probably the ones that people would be most familiar with. Okay, so basically the process is, is you generate your CSS and then one of these tools goes through and it looks at every single selector in your entire CSS file and it compares it to your app itself. And in particular, it's going to look at your um, templates and it's going to look at your JavaScript files, but it can really look at any file that might be consuming those CSS, cl CSS classes. Then what it does is if it doesn't find a match for that CSS selector, it literally removes it from your final outputted CSS. So we kind of ran into a couple problems with Tailwind with using this these sort of tools. One problem is we are using non-standard, I don't know what you'd even call them, basically characters in our utility classes that need to be escaped. So for instance, we use colons um, heavily um, for our media query our screen size um, definition so sm for small colon then the utility name or medium md colon and then the utility name so we were running into some issues with i think purify css or even a couple or even another yeah. tool the ones with, yeah, the problem was, with purify css is basically it would never strip classes with um non-standard selectors in them right which meant all our breakpoint classes would never get stripped which was super grim and it would also yeah. not strip any class that ended in a number, which meant most of our spacing and sizing utilities wouldn't get stripped either. So <laughs> that just made it like not super useful. Like it still made things smaller, but it wasn't small enough or kind of reliable enough that I felt good including it in my sort of build chain. I don't like something yeah. that just like, oh, it takes out... 10% of the selectors that you're not using, which is better than nothing, it just feels kind of sloppy, right? I would rather just yep. not worry about that. Uh, but anyways, continue. Yeah, so so Andrew started playing around with this new tool, 
called Purge CSS. And actually, before I get into that, I'll say that, so the, my big concern with this, this tooling was really just around those unique circumstances in your markup when you're generating um, the CSS classes that you want in you, in your markup, like more often than not, you're doing like conditionals. You know, if this is the current page, well then output the active class on this div or this link or whatever, right? So I was worried like how well would these tools accommodate those situations? And sometimes I'm doing that in JavaScript and sometimes I'm doing that in PHP. Uh, you know, it just seemed like an impossible problem to solve just because of the complexity around that. Like obviously this tool is not going to actually execute the PHP to see what's going to be generated. So how could it be done? So basically this purge CSS tool allows, it works in very much the same way. Um, but one, it works with our CSS, our fancy CSS selectors. And the cool but, thing about that, by the way, is that it didn't like three days ago. So Andrew Del Preti actually just opened an issue on the repo mentioning that, and the guy fixed it within hours and tagged a release. So this project is actually like still active, which is really cool, and they've already made some improvements to it to make it work better with uh, Tailwind. I'm looking at the repo right now. He actually he even has tests specifically that are for Tailwind classes, which is cool. Love it. I love it. So, so, and the one thing that Andrew did is, I guess the way that this purge CSS library works is you can kind of define these different, uh, I got to look it up here. I forget the name of them, but basically different types of extractors that will actually find these classes for you. So by default, it has one from, called Purge from HTML, which is meant to work on like more of a standard HTML page. So if you're working with like a static site or whatever, that would work. So, but what Andrew created is a custom extractor, which you can do, which is really nice. So you can basically create an extractor, extractor to work however you want. And the way his extractor works is he basically just does a regular expression to see if your class name exists anywhere in your template or your JavaScript or whatever file that you want to look at. So instead of doing any sort of fanciness around like uh, parsing you know, HTML and actually exactly. extracting the attributes and seeing that the class attribute contains this is literally right. just split every single string in this whole file on spaces and see if any of those are in your CSS file. So if you had a CSS class called div or input, then it would keep it even if you didn't actually use it as a class. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Which is which means you're gonna have a lot more. I guess there would be false positives. Although I don't think you're gonna have a lot of them. I no, you're really not. You're not gonna have classes named the sorts of things that you're gonna find in that file, anyways. It would be pretty rare. Like the only ones I could think of potentially are, you know, uppercase. You might have the word uppercase somewhere. So keep in mind that this is looking at everything in your file. So if you have a comment in your PHP file that says, you know, take all this and convert it to uppercase. And then in PHP, you use the U case or whatever it is method. That comment in your PHP will actually return a positive. So that'll be, it's, it'll see the uppercase. So it'll include tailwinds.uppercase yeah. um, utility. So there are going to be a certain amount of false positives, but false positives aren't what you're worried about. What you're worried about is false you're worried about the negatives, false negatives. Yeah, you're worried about it stripping right? CSS that you actually are using. That's right. So this approach is in a way kind of, you know, it's kind of dumb actually, but it's actually kind of wonderful that it's so dumb because it tends to just work out really, really well. 
And you just got to be a little bit mindful of that in your app and in your templates that you're not doing any weird sort of string concatenation, which you generally don't um, do. But if you were, say, generating a CSS class using, say, a maybe you have a status in your app. And so you have a status variable and you want to combine that with some sort of other piece to generate, or maybe you're not even doing any string concatenation. Maybe you're just outputting that status somewhere, and that status actually um, um, comes from like a PHP a, controller or from a database or something, so that the string exactly. doesn't exist in the template file that you're actually scanning. Yep. So in that situation, it would not work. Yeah. So um, you have to kind of work within this framework. Of there's a couple kind of rules you need to keep in mind when you're writing your templates for it to work properly, which is basically if you're going to use a CSS class. Make sure that class appears in your markup, which, yeah, like you're saying, I think it's sort of an anti-pattern to try and be too clever and dynamic with that stuff anyways. It's better, in my opinion, to just sort of say, you know, do a map lookup or something right in the template. You know, if some status comes through and you need to apply a class that's, you know, if status equals active, apply status active. If status equals canceled, apply status canceled or whatever. Just make sure totally. that you actually write status dash active in the template instead of being fancy and saying like, you know, status equals status dash dot then, you know, dollar, you know, plan status yeah. or whatever. Um, then you're going to have like misses or whatever. But that's such an easy rule to follow. Yeah. And I think it's like a good rule to follow whether or not you're using a tool like Purge CSS or not, because I think you want to be able to search your templates in your code for the CSS class name regardless because that just makes it easy to remove things and tweak things if needed. So I think it's just a good principle in general. Totally. So um, the real exciting thing about this is talking about the results of it, right? So um, it's really, really easy to use this, by the way. Andrew Del Preti has a great blog post on setting it up with Webpack. So we'll link that um, in the show notes. But it really is just some stuff that you copy and paste in tweak some file paths if you have different places where you're storing some of the files that you want it to look through but it's really really simple to do um and you can even just make it so like it only runs on your production builds instead of on your dev builds which using something like laravel mix that's like super trivial which is cool uh but anyways so examples of the results of this um frank van der herten on uh twitter who's using tailwind to rebuild his blog I tried out Purge CSS today, and his Tailwind build before using Purge CSS was 160 kilobytes, unminified and not gzipped. Maybe it was minified, but not gzipped. Um, so it was probably more like 20 to 25 kilobytes gzipped. And after running Purge CSS on it, he got it down to 11.5 kilobytes non-gzipped. It's only 3.3 kilobytes gzipped. Um, so his resulting CSS is tiny. And I think you're seeing uh, similar results on your project too, right? Yeah. So I think I was in around 30. Like my project's pretty large. So I'm using a lot of classes, a lot of custom design. So my res like I think I dropped down to, I was at 30 minified and gzipped and now I'm at six kilobytes, which is just outrageously small. Awesome. Yeah, And it's the wonderful. amazing it's so thing about it too is you are not sacrificing anything to do this, right? Like um, basically you have all of Tailwind fully available to you, like at its most bloated possible that you could make it. But when you deploy it, it's going to strip out everything that you're not using and you're down to just like the bare minimum styles, which ends up being way tinier than any framework like Bootstrap or anything like that. It's a, it enables some really cool workflows uh, because 
using Tailwind, of course, you're going to have styles that you're not actually using in your project, right? That's the whole point. The point is to have everything available to you in case you need it. Um, so being able to do this sort of thing in a build step that just strips out everything that you're not using, uh, I don't know, it's crazy. It, it, it's really giving us some interesting ideas for what we could actually do uh, with Tailwind going forward. So uh, maybe that yep. would be the next thing for us to get into. Do you have anything else to add yeah, on, the, uh, yeah. on the purge CSS? topic yeah i would say that i ran into this the other day whereas where in my project i wanted to add another media like another screen size and that's actually a bit of a big decision because if there's one thing that cause causes a lot more an increase in file size it's added another screen yeah size. that's like the most expensive ev- thing you can do in tailwind yes because every single utility now is created for a whole new size yeah. every single utility so i wanted one add another i wanted an extra small media query screen size because I wanted to be able to finesse things a little bit on smaller phones. So, but it felt like, Hmm, this, I want to be able to do this cause I want to, I want to get the layout looking nice. I want the, re- the design to be exactly how I want it to be. And I didn't want to be restricted by this, but I felt like I was losing something. There was this big cost to it, but now it's kind of like, literally I would have no problem no. adding as many different screen sizes as I want because there is no cost because even cost. if I use, yeah, if I use one, utility from the entire you know extra small yep. screen size one that's all that's going to get included yep. none of the other ones so you normally adding a new screen size to tailwind if you had five screen sizes to begin with that's like a 20 percent increase in file size ungzipped so everything in tailwind gzips really 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 well like the class names are actually designed to maximize their ability to gzip like we we don't put media queries in the middle of them mostly because it looks better at the beginning, but it also works out that a gzip's better when you can keep as many long strings the same as possible in the file, right? Um, so normally you get a 20% increase in file size on gzipped if you add a new screen size uh, because it's going to generate like another 2,000 utilities or something. But if you only need one of those utilities, you can generate all 2,000 and then Purge CSS will strip out all 1,999 that you're not using. Um, so really... It was just like going to your CSS file and adding a single declaration, except you didn't have to do this annoying work of maintaining your CSS file and carefully crafting which things you keep and which things you don't keep. You literally just say, okay, well, I need a new breakpoint, and now I'm going to use whatever things I need at that breakpoint, and I can feel confident that nothing is going to actually stick around that I didn't actually use. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI. Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at uh, Rollbar and all of its competitors, and it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really, uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language because we're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. We want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer and the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, okay, you know, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you, you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't we'd be dealing with it 
So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SAS app Nitpick CI and loving it. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Fullstack Radio. Let's get quickly into, we're running a little long here, but I really want to talk about um, yes. kind of what our plans are for some of the stuff going forward with Tailwind. So, you know, a question that we get is, you know, what's kind of the roadmap for 1.0 and what sort of things do we want to add? And um, there's a couple different things. The The biggest one um, that really was part of this whole problem of being able to deal with the file size, like file size has been a really annoying problem for us this, this whole time because um, every single decision can have a big impact on file size. So one of the things that's been a real struggle is we have hover variants for certain um, utilities, right? So like background colors, you can say, make this blue, but on hover, make it green. But we don't have hover utilities for things like font size. So you can't hover over something and have it go from one font size to another. And a lot of, you know, we just have to just sit down and just like look through every module and kind of figure out, does it make sense to be able to change this on hover? Maybe some people will want to do it, um, which sucks if we don't let them do it but most people probably won't want to do it. So it shouldn't be in there by default because it's going to generate a bunch of extra bloat. So that's been like a big challenge for us decision wise. Right. And there's all sorts of other States that we want to be able to have modifiers for. So people really want to be able to style things um, when they're focused, not just active or sorry, not just hover. Um, Cause that makes it nice to do things like input styling and stuff, or maybe you hate the default browser outline and you want to replace it with like a better one. And you want to use focus styles for that. Maybe you do want active styles. Like when a button is being pressed, you want to style it a different way. Um, another one is like placeholders. So maybe you want your placeholder text. You want to be able to style the color, the font size, the font weight um, of that. And right now you can't really easily do that. But if we added placeholder um, state variants to everything, well, the whole thing would get bloated like crazy. Even other fancy ideas like being able to control like the appearance of a nested element from its parent by having like a nested state or a parent state or or some clever stuff like that. But every single one of these cool ideas just was going to result in a crazy amount of bloat in um, the resulting file size. So something that we've been planning on doing for the longest time anyways is making it possible to control at the config level not only what uh, values you have for each one of these utilities, like what scales you're using for things, but which utilities even exist and not down to like the fine-grained like per class level, but sort of at a module level. So you want to add a key to the tail and options file, um, probably called modules, that's just gonna be like an array or a key value pair list of all the different modules that come with Tailwind uh, where you can enable or disable them. So say you're working on a project where you have to support IE9 and you can't use Flexbox. Well, there's no point generating all these Flexbox styles. So you can just turn off the Flexbox module. On the flip side, say you're working on a project that doesn't need to even support IE11 and only needs to support Edge and you wanna be able to use CSS Grid. Well, we actually don't have any CSS Grid layout utilities right now. Um, purely because the browser support in IE 11 is fucking awful. So um, we decided not to bloat up the core project with that because so many people can't really use it. But now we could probably add CSS grid layout to Tailwind's core and just have it disabled by default. And you would just have to go into your modules and say grid layout true. And that would just turn on, right? So being able to just go through and kind of enable, disable things at the module 
level is one thing that we want to be able to do. And that's to be able to control file size, to be able to opt in and out of features that you don't need or can or cannot use based on what browsers you have to support. But the other really exciting thing that we want to do there is give you control over what states are generated for what utilities. So imagine like a syntax where maybe you have this object and the keys are the module names. So a module name might be background colors, for example. And background colors by default might have responsive enabled. It might have hover enabled. And that's kind of what Tailwind looks like right now. Maybe you want to be able to change the background color on focus though. So you can say focus should also be enabled for background colors. Active should also be enabled for background colors. Uh, we even have thought through a syntax to make it possible for you to do this at the per kind of value um, level if you wanted to. So say that you had a bunch of background colors or maybe border colors is a better example. Say you have a bunch of border colors, but there's like three border colors that you need on focus and you don't want to generate like all 20 of your border colors on focus because you want to control your file size. We can make it pretty easy for you to just say, well, these variants should also have focus ones generated. Or maybe focus would now be like an array and you would just pass through a list of all the, the values, right? So you might say red, blue, and green. I want to have focus versions of. Um... So that would make it easy for you to basically enable or disable all these state modifiers and all these features for all these things at the per module level, um, which our goal with that was to be able to control, help you control file size, right? Uh, but now that like we've found this purge CSS thing that's working really well, like a workflow that we're both really, really excited to try with Tailwind is actually just like enabling the whole array of everything on every module. So every module would have hover, focus, active, placeholder, responsive, whatever, fully enabled on everything. So you have every possible style that you could ever imagine. And then you just let purge CSS strip out the stuff that you're not using. Like instead of having to manually go in and, you know, try and configure it so that you're reducing the file size, just give me the whole toolbox and let this build tool just strip everything out. It's really interesting. It, it, it almost has me rethinking this whole feature, but yeah, we'll we'll have to think through that. I think a it's still bit more. worth building because so many people are not going to be using purge CSS. Like it is a decision. Like, do we want to basically hard code or like bake purge CSS into the workflow and just kind of say in your configuration, like we could even include it as a dependency and sort of expose a simpler API, like via tailwind, you know what I mean? To make it feel yep. like it's part of tailwind. But that's a big decision that we'll have to think about after doing a lot of yeah. testing and stuff. But it is it, just it really is interesting. Feels, There's something cool yeah. about being able to advertise like it's the smallest CSS framework ever because <laughs> uh, it, it really just depends only on, includes. Yeah. yeah. Like if you make a hello world with no classes, well, your CSS is zero kilobytes now when you use Tailwind or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's kind of like the big thing that we're most excited about working on next is is making it possible to have more of these state modifiers uh, so you can control focus states, hover states on more things, uh, placeholder states, maybe some clever child toggling stuff. Who knows? Um, I don't know. Is there any other any other ones? I mean, even being able to disable responsive on different ones is could be useful. You know, we had a hard yep. time even deciding originally should should everything be responsive or should some things not be responsive. It was hard to find a utility where I couldn't come up with any example of when I might want to use that responsibly. So it seemed easier to just make it all responsive. That's also less to learn uh, when you're someone think, taking on the framework that way. But yeah, I think that like really with any of the states, 
it's kind of that question for us. It's really hard to know when, you know, whether or not it should be included or not active, focused, hover, responsive, placeholder, like every single one of those, you can look through the whole set of utilities and say, well, could you ever want this for placeholder? Or could you ever want this for responsive? Or could you ever want this for focus or active? And almost every single time is, well, yeah, sure. There are situations that someone may Some want crazy that. Thing. I may, yeah, yeah, you never know, right? So it really sucks limiting people. But at the same time, like right now, we had to limit it because we have no, we had no choice because the file size would just be enormous if we just ship yeah. everything by default. Yeah, and right now there's literally no way to control any of that stuff with Tailwind, right? Like you can control the scales that are available for things. You can technically turn off certain features by just providing an empty scale, but there's so many features you can't turn off. Like Flexbox has no scale associated with it, right? It's literally just hard-coded utilities, and right now there's no way to turn it off. Um, so being able to control that stuff is a, is a big thing for us. And I think as soon as we have a really good story for configuring what's included and what's not included, we'll feel a lot more comfortable adding more utilities to the framework. Um, because right now it, it really sucks to add new stuff uh, and have everyone be forced to adopt it. And that's the reason that we had to like drop support for CSS grid layout, uh, kind of the 11th hour when I, we tested it in IE 11 and we're like, oh, wow, like, can I use says that um, it has yeah. partial support with a prefix, but it turns out to be like an entirely different spec and completely useless. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And that was depressing because it really is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. I'm excited to add like, it I back. love Flex, but. Yeah. yeah. So I guess like other features that we're interested in working on soon, um, there's two other ones that we're going to talk about. One is really brief, which is just there's utilities that we want to add that we don't have yet. Uh, a really good example of that is table styles. We have things for vertical alignment, but we're missing things for um, like border collapse. border collapse, border separate, some things like that. Um, we might be, I don't, I don't know what else we're missing in terms of kind of the low level ones like that, but we do want to add grid layout, like the new CSS grid spec and figuring out a, ways that we can expose some some helpful classes around that it's kind of a tricky one because it's really a as a fe as a css feature you really get the most power out of that one by working in css so there's no way that we're going to be able to expose the full power of css grid and pure utilities but it certainly is the best way still to make like a basic bootstrap grid and right now we have no utilities for that because to make a grid like that is requires a combination of a lot of different things right now. You have to do some flexbox stuff, some width stuff, some negative margin stuff, some padding stuff. Uh, whereas with grid, everything is like single declarations. So we can actually provide a utility API for grids, which is cool because we haven't been able to do that so far. Um, so it'll be cool to add that one. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head that I'm really, actually, you know what? Um, uh, transitions and stuff. Yes, yes. So it'd be cool to add like an optional module where you could do things like hover on something and have it grow or have it raise up or change color um, and specify the easing and the timing function, you know, all that fancy stuff um, as well as some of the transforms. Like it'd be cool to have utilities for rotating things or like flipping cards back and forth or like skewing things. So you could do like those cool like stripes angled backgrounds uh stuff like that and and those things are again just things that are hard to bake into core without bloating it up so our first priority is to make it possible to opt in and out of all these different modules and then we can kind of go hog wild with all these other ideas 
Um, yeah, so the very last thing, though, which I think is like a really interesting one, and hopefully you've stuck around for this whole episode because um, this kind of ties back to the very first topic we talked about, is we're working on like a plugin or extension system for Tailwind. And by working on it, I mean we've just kind of brainstormed and hacked out what the API would look like. We haven't actually implemented it yet. But we really want to build this this system that lets you pull in like additional NPM packages uh, to pull in pre-built components or utilities that someone else has built or even like full themes. Um, so this idea was kind of what made it, finally made it easy for us to say, okay, we don't have to include buttons in the framework because we have a plan for making it easy for someone to add buttons if they don't want to style them themselves. Um, so the nice thing about this approach is basically what you would do is you would go on the command line and you do something like npm install tailwind css dash material dash buttons and that would pull in a module for like material design looking buttons with google's kind of flair on those and then in your tailwind config we're going to have i think we're going to call it extensions we're going to have an extensions key and basically you just require that module in there and that module can define any of its own options that it takes, right? So it's just going to be a third-party thing on a separate GitHub repo. So you just require it in there, pass through a JavaScript object where it would take any config that you need. So maybe you pass through padding and stuff. Maybe you pass through the colors that you want. Um, it's totally like not our problem in a lot of ways, right? It's really depending on the component that you're pulling in. But you could pull in different button styles that way. So instead of us giving you a button and then you having to undo the border radius or change the font weight or whatever, you just ask for the button that you want from the beginning, you know? Um, so if you want material design style buttons, you can ask for those. If you want like stripe style buttons, maybe someone makes a package for those. If you want uh, just basic like bootstrap buttons, just rounded corners, flat, whatever, maybe you pull in a package that does that. Forms is the same thing. Maybe you want like bootstrap style forms. You can pull in like a whole set of extensions that just plugs into Tailwind that gives you those form styles and stuff. Um, other stuff that you could pull in, like maybe someone makes like a, a library for doing like charts and graphs or something. Like it wouldn't be a JavaScript library that actually does it, but maybe it gives you components for showing statistics or trends and, you know, all sorts of interesting things. I think it could really open up the framework for people who are more used to like a semantic UI or a bootstrap or something where they want more pre-designed stuff, but without sacrificing like any of the power or flexibility of kind of the core, core framework stuff. So yeah, I don't know. What are you excited about there? Yeah, I'm excited about being able to have the power of all the utilities, but not have to reinvent things like forms and buttons on every single project. So I could see myself having, you know, these standard extensions that I pull in because those buttons are good enough for my project, um, but then not having to be committed to those to be able to say, well, in this in this particular project, I don't want to have to resolve buttons. I'm cool. I'm totally cool with this particular button package. Whereas in the next situation, maybe I, I do want to make my own buttons and, and can just leave that out. It feels like it's giving you really like the best of both worlds. Yeah. And I like the idea of being able to, to say, okay, well, you make some design decisions for me because that's essentially what a component pack is. But still, even within that saying, yeah, but I want to have a little bit of control. I want to say, well, you can pull, like, I want this button pack, but at least that button pack can say, well, tell me what colors you want your buttons. So you can still tweak those buttons potentially, you know, to match the branding or whatever of your project, yeah. which obviously that level of customization would be on the actual person making the extension. 
but I think that we have some nice ideas to make that really easy to do, which I think would be, you know, make the whole thing a lot more useful. Yeah. I think the other cool thing there is the idea of extensions being full featured enough to even be thought of as like a theme. So someone could make like a really thorough, deep tailwind extension. And because it's just JavaScript, like you can get so creative and do whatever you want. So say you made like a theme and you provided this theme in five different color schemes or whatever. Um, in Tailwind's config right now, we have that var colors equals whatever, right? And you pass that into a bunch of stuff. There's nothing stopping you from doing require Tailwind CSS uh, barometrics theme or something, right? Someone makes some theme inspired by some app, whatever, who knows? And that returns some object or has some other things that they export where you could ask it for one of the color palettes. Like if it has five color palettes, then I can say var colors equals require Tailwind CSS theme A slash blue color palette or whatever. And now you have someone else's defined a color palette and stored it on NPM for you. And you can just go and now apply that to a bunch of different stuff. So I'm really, really excited about that because I think it helps us um, make Tailwind available or, or, or make it useful for people who aren't necessarily building custom UIs, but still give them that nice workflow that like we love so much with Tailwind, right? Um, so it's pretty ambitious in a lot of ways, trying to make it sort of a good fit for so many different use cases. But I think, uh, you know, I'm really excited about the ideas that we have for, for making it possible because so far I feel like we've been able to figure out ways to do all this stuff without compromising at all on sort of the initial vision of the framework, which was a big struggle at the beginning. You know, we had so many conversations about, is it a utility framework or is it a UI framework? What one is it going to be? And we magically figured out through so many conversations and so much trial and error, sort of a path forward where we can have uh, kind of have our cake and eat it too, which Hopefully it plays out the way that we want it to, but I'm, I'm really excited about it for sure. One decision around all this that kind of stands out in my mind is the day that we just took this, the, the, the JSON file, which is really what the Tailwind config originally was, and we converted it to just a JavaScript file. Yeah. And it was kind of like, it seemed like maybe not even a big deal at that moment. Kind of like, oh, this can be just plain JavaScript or this can be a JSON file. But now when I look back on it, it's like, I feel like all this stuff just becomes so much more interesting with it being a JavaScript file. Like you say, well, there's no reason why in the Tailwind config, like when you're defining your colors, that you don't reach out and grab a set of colors from some extension library that you've pulled in for Tailwind and actually apply it to your main color scheme. I'm like, like that's totally doable. It'd be pretty tricky to do that all with just plain old JSON. Oh yeah, it'd be hell. It'd be totally terrible. It's crazy what you yeah. can do with when it's all JavaScript. Like, so much stuff can be yep. coming from third-party dependencies. Like people that are going to make these extensions, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what creative things you know people do. You could even like instead of having to just define a whole config in your config file, you could ask the theme for a whole fully built config file that already has a spacing scale defined. That already, you know what I mean. Um, it could just be literally pull it in and done. And if you just want something like a bootstrap, like this is literally going to make it possible for you to build bootstrap out of Tailwind and have the end user never have to create any of their own components or, or anything like that. Like that's the extreme to which you could take something like this. So it's going to be fascinating because to me it makes Tailwind like 
Tailwind is already like an engine for creating design systems. That's kind of what I feel like it really is. Um, but making it possible to sort of share those is going to make things really interesting. I really like, like Absolutely. how it can open up the space to to non-designers to still get like the nice Tailwind uh, workflow without being bootstrap, you know? Like that's the magical thing about it. We don't have to try and tread this line between enforcing design opinions and being totally flexible. It's just a very layered approach where it's very easy to just pull in Tailwind like everyone has been for weeks since it was released now, never think twice about the extension system and do whatever you want. Um, or you can kind of pick one of these starting points or pull in components and mix and match things. I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be really cool. Yeah, we kind of need to see how that all plays out. All right, man. Well, uh, let's uh, maybe wrap it up. Is there anything else that you wanted to to touch on before we get going? I'd just like to say thanks to everyone for kind of like the positive feedback that we've been getting. It's been kind of overwhelming and everyone helping out with fixing up documentation and, and other bugs that, that existed and for figuring out things like purge CSS. Like this is like, it's kind of scary taking a project open source because it's a big time investment and, um, and you, you know, you don't really know what the response is going to be like, but this has been like, so great because what's you know what's we felt was complete obviously had some issues and we've already in the first couple weeks here been able to make it a lot better based on kind of just people trying it out and helping us yeah yeah definitely i echo all the same sentiments it's been really really crazy uh the amount of people that have already like built sites with it people have like rebuilt their blogs and posted them we should even try and collect maybe some links of stuff that people have done with tailwind to include in the show notes for this people have made someone made like a tailwindexpo.com site where they link a bunch of people's tailwind projects There's people writing blog posts about it um, this guy simon on twitter is already making like an egghead course on it and has like released videos on it and stuff it's crazy man it's it's the it's the most fun and exciting kind of open source project I've I've ever been involved in and it's uh it's been really awesome how people have sort of taken it on and done stuff with it it's 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 a really controversial approach to CSS right and I think it's probably not as controversial today as it was in 2014 2015 when people really started to release frameworks that kind of took more of this uh, utility approach so I think we've been um sort of blessed in the sense that a lot of other people, the real sort of trailblazers, uh, really took the the brunt of the abuse for us. And, and so far, we've mostly only been able to enjoy a lot of praise and excitement around the thing. Um, yep. But yeah, yeah, our timing feels our timing feels right that in that sense. Yeah, for sure. I think. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been really cool. Um, so, anyways. If you haven't checked out Tailwind already and you somehow managed to listen to this conversation, uh, <laughs> head over to tailwindcss.com uh, to see kind of what's going on there. Uh, if you are a Tailwind user and you've been enjoying uh, these discussions and you're building cool stuff with it, you should head over to GitHub and give us a star uh, or follow the Tailwind account on Twitter. That's where we announce kind of like the new release updates and uh, stuff like that. And yeah, thanks so much to everybody who's who's tried it out so far or who has contributed or has built something and shared it or has written about it. Uh, it's been really awesome and I'm really excited to uh, to keep working on it and pushing it forward. 
Cool, man. Well, uh, it's been a blast chatting with you about this stuff as always. If anybody's interested in show notes for this episode, they can be found at fullstackradio.com slash 77. Thanks to Rollbar and Codechip for sponsoring Fullstack Radio this week. And I'll see you next time.